Alright everybody, welcome back. In this episode we're going to take 2 Kings chapter 22. King Josiah finds the book of the law. We'll just jump into the first two verses. A summary of the reign of Josiah, the son of Ammon. And Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Ediah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So unusually, this young boy came to the throne at eight years of age, and this was because of the assassination of his father. And at last, after more than 300 years, the prophecy of the man of God out of Judah is fulfilled in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2. So this was true, right? He did what was right. Um, it was true of Josiah at this young age, but it is really more intended as a general description of his reign rather than a description of him at eight years of age, right? So Josiah was one of Judah's best kings. Peace, prosperity, and reform characterized his reign. And Josiah was only a lad of eight when he was crowned king, and he reigned over Judah 31 years, from 640 to 609 BC. And during his reign, world power passed from Assyrian to Babylonian leadership. And Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was destroyed in 612 BC, and the Assyrian Empire fell in 609. So like Asa and Hezekiah before him, Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord and followed the good ways of his ancestor David. He did not deviate from this course at any time during his reign. The chronicler added that Josiah began to seek after the Lord when he was 16 and he began his religious reforms when he was 20 in 2 Chronicles 34 verses 3 through 7. So Josiah was the fourth and final reformer among Judah's kings following Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Hezekiah. But Josiah's reforms were far more extensive than any of his predecessors. Verses 3 through 7, Josiah tells uh, Hilkiah to repair the temple. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Aziliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, and that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it to the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. And let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand, because they deal faithfully. So, according to Second Chronicles 34, this repair of the temple was preceded by a definite commitment to God when Josiah was 16. Then, some four years later, an uh, icon, iconoclastic purge attacking idolatry in Judah. So, the chronicler in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 34 and 35 appears to present a two-stage sequence of events. Uh, the first, the purification of religious practices in Judah, Jerusalem, and Naphtali in Josiah's 12th year, and two, a continuing reformation stimulated by the discovery of the book of the law in the 18th year, but this may be a presentation to fit in with the chronicler's particular emphasis. All right. So if Josiah had not yet seen a copy of this book, which is not impossible, uh, yet there was so much of the law left in the minds and memories of the people, as might easily persuade and direct him to all that he did till this time. And it's possible that Josiah was motivated to rebuild the temple after hearing or remembering that it uh, that this was what the king Jehoash did many years before him in Second Kings chapter 12. 
And Josiah understood that the work of repair and rebuilding the temple needed organization and funding. So he paid attention to both of these needs when he commanded uh, Hilkiah to begin the work of the temple. And according to Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, the prophet Jeremiah was the son of the particular priest Hilkiah. And Jeremiah began his ministry during the reign of King Joseph. So the temple had fallen into disrepair and had been desecrated by Manasseh, who had built pagan altars and images in it. Chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, and verse 7 and 21. In Josiah's 18th year as king, at age 26, he began to repair the temple and restore it to its former condition. So he sent the secretary, Shaphan, perhaps like a secretary of state, along with other high government officials in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 8, to begin these temple renovations. And it would be Shaphan's son, uh, Ahakam, who would be sent to Huldah the prophetess in verse 12 through 20, who would protect Jeremiah from being condemned to death in Jeremiah 26, verse 24. And it would be Shaphan's grandson, Gedaliah, who would be appointed governor of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 14, and chapter 40, verse 5. So for some time, money had been collected for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. Now enough was in hand to begin the work. Right, verses 8 through 10, the book of the law is found in red. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hands of those who did the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before for the king. So according to Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 24 through 27, there was to be a copy of this book of the law beside the ark of the covenant beginning in the days of Moses. The word of God was with Israel, but it was greatly neglected in those days. And this neglect could only happen because Judah was in prolonged disobedience to God. And Deuteronomy 17 verses 18 through 20 will tell us that each king was to have a personal copy of the law and he was to read it. Deuteronomy 31 verses 9 through 13 will tell us that the entire law was to be read to an assembly of the nation once every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles to keep the law before the people. And the Levites, scattered among the, uh, the country, also had the implied responsibility to teach the law to the people of Israel. So the first we know of a public reading of the law is in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. The next we hear of it is during the reign of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7. That's more than 500 years later. Quite a big chunk of time, right? Not so much every seven years. And then in the reign of Josiah, there was another public reading of the law in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 30. That's more than 250 years after Jehoshaphat. So, of course, there might have been there might have been public readings of the law as commanded here, which aren't recorded, but the fact that some are recorded probably means that they were unusual, not typical. So, some believe that the particular portion of the law was that was found in red before King Josiah was the book of Deuteronomy. The identification with Deuteronomy rests on the dependence of some of Josiah's actions on the book, like 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 9, and Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 6 through 8, and the impact of these prophecies predicting exile, the support Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 gives to nationalistic aspirations. So was this the autograph of Moses? And it's very probable that it was, for in the parallel place, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 14, it is said to be the book of the law of the Lord by Moses. It is supposed to be that part of Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30 and 31, which contains the renewing of the covenant in the plains of Moab, in which contains the most terrible invectives against the corruptors of God's word and worship. Remember, I've been hammering Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 31 over and over and over again. You will not understand what's happening in the Old Testament until you take a grasp on what happened between God and Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 31. It just won't make sense. You'll think that, oh man, God is just very angry. Or God is just really good. He's either really happy or really, you know, really angry. There was a covenant that was cut between the two. They agreed to conditions. And God's holding them to the conditions. He takes oaths very seriously. And you have to understand the nature of oaths. So it seems remarkable that this was even worthy of mention, that the high priest found the word of God and a scribe read it. Yet the word of God was no neglected in those days, then it was worthy of mention. So Shaphan simply told the king that Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan did not despise the book, but he had not yet, like many a modern scribe, realized the importance of that blessed volume. Then, after money and overseers and workmen have all been mentioned, then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, right? Only a book. And here the word of God spreads, right? He read it before the king. And it had been forgotten and regarded as nothing more than an old dusty book. Now it was found, read, and spread. And we should expect some measure of spiritual revival and renewal to follow. And throughout the history of God's people, when the word of God is recovered and spread, then spiritual revival follows. And it can begin as simply as it did in the days of Josiah, with one man finding and reading and believing and spreading the book. Another example of this in history is the Peter of uh, the story of Peter Waldo and his followers, uh, sometimes known as the Waldenses. Waldo was a rich merchant who gave up his business to radically follow Jesus. He hired two priests to translate the New Testament into common language, and using this, he began to teach others. He taught in the streets or wherever he could find someone to listen, and many common people came to hear him and started to radically also follow Jesus Christ. And he taught them the text of the New Testament in the common language and was rebuked by church officials for doing so. And he ignored the rebuke and continued to teach, and eventually sending his followers out two by two into villagers, uh, villages and marketplaces to teach and explain the scriptures. And the scriptures were memorized by the Waldenses. And it wasn't unusual for their ministers to memorize the entire New Testament and large sections of the Old Testament. And the Word of God, when found, read, and believed, and spread, has this kind of transforming power. And it is interesting to note the popularity of animal names for persons in this period. Right? Shaphan means rock badger, and Akbor means mouse. Holda, the name of the prophetess who introduced in the next section, means mole. Names are always incredibly important. <clears throat> So in the process of renovating the temple, a copy of the book of the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was found. And evidently, Manasseh or Ammon had destroyed all the other copies so that the discovery of this one constituted an important find. It was probably hidden somewhere, kept safe. All right, verse 11. Uh, the initial reaction to the discovery of the book of the law. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. And the hearing of God's word did a spiritual work in King Josiah. It was not merely a transmission of information. The hearing of God's word had an impact of spiritual power on Josiah. And tearing his clothes, we've talked about this a number of occasions. The tearing of clothes was a traditional expression of horror and astonishment. It's a very Jewish thing to do. 
especially during these times. In the strongest possible sense, Josiah showed his grief on his own account and the account of the nation. And this was an expression of deep conviction of sin, and it's a good thing. Uh, revival and spiritual awakening are marked by such expressions of the conviction of sin, right? Dr. J. Edwin Orr in the Second Evangelical Awakening in Britain recounted some examples from the great movement that impacted Britain and the world in 1859 to 1861. He said, At the commencement of the prayer meeting, a sturdy-looking man who had been coming to chapel every night, but going away hardening his heart, jumped on to a form, speaking out before all the people, said, Do you know me? The praying men answered, Yes. What am I then? He said. They replied, A backslider. Well then, said he, I will be a backslider no longer. All of you come to Jesus with me. And he fell in agony of prayer for God to have mercy on him. And indeed, the anguish and desire of his soul was too much for him. For he swooned away on the floor before us all, and his wife was one of the first converted the previous week. And only that evening had sent up a request that God would save her husband, who was a poor, miserable backslider. And about thirty that night professed to obtain mercy. All right, so the conviction of sin is the special work of the Holy Spirit, even as Jesus said in John 16, verse 8, and when he, God, has come, he, God, will convict the world of sin. So in distress, Josiah tore his robes, right? And you can see examples of this in Genesis 37, verse 29 and verse 34, Joshua chapter 7, verse 6, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7, chapter 6, verse 30, chapter 11, verse 14, chapter 19, verse 1, Esther chapter 4, verse 1, Job chapter 1, verse 20, and chapter 2, verse 12. And he wept, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 19. On hearing what God required of his people, as he compared that with how far they had departed from his will, so they probably read Leviticus 26 or Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. And they saw like, oh my God. <clears throat> now we understand exactly how we got to where we were. It probably made a lot of sense then. Uh, verses 12 through 13, King Josiah seeks the Lord. So then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe and Isaiah the servant of the king saying go inquire of the Lord for me for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So it wasn't that King Josiah knew nothing of God or how to seek him. It was that he was so under the conviction of sin that he did not know what to do next. And Josiah knew that the kingdom of Judah deserved judgment from God. He could not hear the word of God and respond to the spirit of God without seriously confronting the sin of his own kingdom. So Josiah feared the anger of the Lord and wanted to turn it away from all the people of Judah, not just himself. So his shock at the contents of the law reveals that Judah hadn't consulted the law for a long time. All right, verse 14 through 17, God's word to the kingdom of Judah, the judgment is coming. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahakam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, the keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they spoke with her and she then she said to them thus says the lord god of israel tell the man who sent you to me thus says the lord behold i will bring calamity to this place and on its inhabitants all the words of the book which has which the king of judah has read because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched so 
uh, Hulda the prophetess. We know little of this woman other than this mention here, and the similar account recorded in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 22. With the apparent approval of King Josiah, Hilkiah the priest consulted this woman for spiritual guidance, and it wasn't because of her own wisdom and spirituality, uh, but she was recognized as a prophetess that could reveal the heart and mind of God. And there were certainly other prophets in Judah, though the contemporary prophet Jeremiah isn't mentioned. He commended Josiah in Jeremiah 22, verses 15 and 16, and the prophet Zephaniah and Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1 was at work during this reign. So yet for some reason, perhaps spiritual, perhaps practical, they chose to consult Hulda the prophetess. So we find from this, and we have many facts in all ages to corroborate it, that a pontiff, a pope, a bishop, or a priest may, in some cases, not possess the true knowledge of God, and that a simple woman, possessing the life of God in her soul, may have more knowledge of the divine testimonies than many of those who, whose office it is to explain and actually enforce them, and how true is how true is that today? Uh, people are just simply will not say what the Bible is actually saying. They love to give their interpretations and add things to the Bible, but they're not looking at what the word in the original translation actually says. They try to allegorize it and contort the meaning of the word of God, and it's blasphemy. So Josiah knew that Judah deserved judgment, and that judgment would indeed come. Judah and its leaders had walked against the Lord for too long, and it would not genuinely repent so as to avoid eventual judgment. So God's word was true, even in its promises of judgment. God's faithfulness is demonstrated as much as his judgment upon the wicked as it is as his mercy upon the repentant. So the fact that the king's officers in verse 12 sought out the prophetess Hulda suggests that she was highly regarded for her prophetic gift, but the fact was that the five consulted Hulda suggests that the Ark of the Covenant was not available. We'll deal with this later. All right, verses 18 through 20, God's word to King Josiah, the judgment will not come in your day. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, and I also have heard you, thus says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So Josiah's heart was tender in two ways. First, it was tender to the word of God and was able to receive the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. Second, it was tender to the message of judgment from Hulda in the previous verses. And though Josiah died in battle, there are at least three ways that this is true. He died before the great spiritual disaster and exile came to Judah. He was gathered to the spirits of his fathers who were in peace. And he died in God's favor, though by the hand of an enemy. And... Um, you shall not see the calamity. This was God's mercy to Josiah. His own godliness and tender heart cannot stop the eventual judgment of God, but it could delay it. An inevitable judgment is sometimes delayed because of the tender hearts of the people of God. And God delayed judgment even in the case of Ahab, who responded to a word of warning with a kind of repentance in 1 Kings 21 verses 25 through 29. 
So this judgment would come because they've had forsaken God and made the idols and burned incense to them, right? It's part of their history. And God's anger burned against his people, verse 13. And basically because they had forsaken his appointed way, right, they broke their agreement whereby they could experience blessing and enjoy life and demonstrate all the other people how glorious it was to live under Lord's leadership. Uh, Josiah experienced God's mercy personally because he had responded to God's word and he humbled himself before the Lord when he heard the law. And God said that the king was going to die and be buried before judgment would descend on Judah. His death in 609 was four years before Nebuchadnezzar's first attack on Jerusalem in 605 BC. And that ties up chapter 22. Next time we'll get into chapter 23. We'll talk about the reforms of Josiah. Thank you for joining me.